Mass at Heidelberg Catechism in Lord's Day 9. It's on page 525 of Jehovah Praise. God's word summarized as follows. What do you believe when you say, I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, that the eternal Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who out of nothing created heaven and earth and all that is in them, and who still upholds and governs them by his eternal counsel and providence, is for the sake of Christ his Son, my God, in him I trust so completely as to have no doubt that he will provide me with all things necessary for body and soul, and will also turn to my good whatever adversity he sends me in this life of sorrow. He is able to do so as Almighty God, and willing also as a faithful Father. We will sing together from hymn 78, stanzas 1, 2, 3, and 5. Beloved congregation, Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, we're dealing this afternoon with the explanation of the first statement of the Apostles' Creed, I believe in the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. We confess that we believe in him. We do not merely say here that we believe him. In other words, that he exists, that is a given. No, we do not just believe him, we believe in him. That is to say, we totally put our trust in him. We entrust our lives to him and feel totally secure with him. We confess that we know and that we are in his care and that we are completely safe. For there is a difference in believing someone and in believing in someone. The child, for example, believes that his father exists. It's obvious to the child. He or she can see him. He's around every day. But when we state that a child believes in his father, that means then that he or she trusts in him. That he or she feels safe with him. And in this way, God also wants you and me to believe in him. He wants us to trust him completely. And that is why the first sentence of the Apostles' Creed speaks about God and our Father. His fatherhood cannot be divorced from his Godhead. And that is what I will preach to you about this afternoon is as follows, we believe in the Almighty God as our loving Father. So we see two things. First, that He is great. Secondly, that He is trustworthy. Brothers and sisters, boys and girls, imagine that we could reduce the earth to the size of a little marble and place it on the table. And then we could place another marble half the size of the first 
second marvel would be the moon. 300 feet away from the Earth marvel, we would set a ball the size of a volleyball. That would be the sun. The sun is our nearest star. If we wanted to exclude the next star, we would have to place it somewhere in China. Because although the sun is 93 million miles away from the Earth, the distance of the next star is 300,000 times farther. Eight other planets with their moons encircle the sun. Together they make a galaxy. There are millions upon millions of galaxies in space. Space is so vast. And there are also so many stars and planets, which is mind-boggling. And within all that space and mass, the Earth is nothing more than a tiny speck. And it is on that tiny speck that you and I live. Do you know, humanly speaking, how vulnerable we are on this little speck in the midst of these billions of galaxies? Around the Earth is what we call the atmosphere. It contains the air we breathe. Miraculously, the atmosphere stays where it is. But if it were to be pulled away from the Earth, everything on Earth would die. And the whole Earth would be burned to a crisp within an hour. On this tiny Earth, as minuscule creatures, we make our confession I believe in God the Father, almighty creator of heaven and earth. And now the catechism wants to tell us that regardless of the fact that he is the almighty one who created all things, he is my God and my Father. We are not just to speak as a tiny speck of dust on a larger speck of dust, but we are to speak to him as his beloved children. Isn't that amazing? It says in Isaiah 40, verse 15 and following, Surely the nations are like a drop in the bucket. They are regarded as dust on the scales. We waste the islands as though they were fine dust. Before him all the nations are as nothing. Now then, who pays attention to a drop in a bucket? Who pays attention to a speck of dust on the scales? That's how a whole nation appears to God. Can you imagine how he regards one single human being? He says in verse 18, To whom then will you compare God? What image will you compare him to? Lift up your eyes to the sky. Do you know who made all these stars? There are billions upon billions of stars in the sky. And there are more stars in the sky than there are people here on this earth. And God knows every star. And we would be inclined to think that is, that is how we appear to him. He could hardly, if at all, be bothered with any one of us. According to Isaiah, God does not say, because I am so great, I cannot be bothered with you. 
No, he says, exactly because I am so great, I am able and willing and eager even to be involved in every aspect of your life. That is the kind of God and Father I am. And that's also clear from what he says further in that passage that we read. He says in the verses 27 and following, Why do you say, O Jacob, and complain, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord? My cause is disregarded by my God. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Isaiah is speaking here to the believer. He is speaking to you and to me. God the Father assures us that we matter to him. Every single one of us, in spite of the fact that he is such an almighty God, he does not overlook any one of his creatures. He is, as it says in verse 28, the everlasting God. It's also what the Catechism says. He is the eternal Father. Eternity, what does that mean? Applied to God, that means He has always been there and He will always continue to be there. There was never a time that He was not. Nor will there ever be such a time. And there was never a time and He was not a father either. He did not at some time become a father. No, His fatherhood is part of His essence. We cannot think of God other than that He is a father. If that were not so, that he would no longer be himself. It is part of his nature. It is not so either that we can deduce from our own experience what God's fatherhood is like. As if from what we have seen here on earth about a father's love and care, we can now apply to God. It is the other way around. Whatever we observe here on earth is only a small, perverted reflection of the fatherhood of God. Think about it. When we think of the way an earthly father looks after and guides and protects and provides for his child, then we only have a tiniest impression of what the God, what God the Father is really like. His fatherhood is so much greater and so much more profound than anything you will ever be able to find here on this earth. Look at what the Catechism says about his fatherhood. The first sentence of this, of this Catechism is quite a long one. It's also somewhat complicated. So let's break it down a little bit into more manageable parts. It says that the eternal Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, who, and then follow two relevant clauses, who is the creator of all things, and who still upholds in government by his eternal is for the sake of Christ his Son, my God and my Father. And so the main sentence here is this, that the eternal Father of the Lord Jesus Christ is my God and my Father. That is the main thought here in this catechism. His fatherhood, in other words, does not begin with man, but his fatherhood begins with his Son. 
we would be inclined to think that God's fatherhood should first be mentioned in relation to us. Catechism, correctly so, doesn't do that. And the catechism is masterful in the way that it puts it. It is succinct, but it reads the language of the scriptures. The catechism tells us that he is our father for the sake of Christ, his son. He is not our father for our sakes in the first place, but for the sake of his beloved son. Think about how significant that is. It cannot be otherwise. God's love is only for himself. God's love is never a divided love. God's love is simple and complete. He doesn't love one thing and then another and then again another. There are no objects of his affection that divide his interest and care. No, his love is for himself. And that is why anything or anyone who wants to harm him in any way will be the object of his wrath. He will consume it. It's very comforting for us to know that. But the Catechism says that he is my God and my Father for the sake of Christ his Son. Brothers and sisters, boys and girls, we are adopted children of God. We belong to the Father because of the Son. And you see, that that is why He does not want any harm to come to us either. For if we are harmed, then His Son is harmed. For we are part of Him through faith. God the Father adopted us because of His only begotten Son. And that is why He came to earth on Christmas Day coming in the flesh is God the Father's great act of love. God so loved His Son and those who belong to Him that He did not want them to perish. He sent His Son to die for us so that we could live and be returned to eternal glory. Christ died for us so that His Heavenly Father would also be our Heavenly Father. And that's why we must not stare ourselves blind in the suffering of the Lord Jesus Christ, but at what He has accomplished by so doing. We see God the Father's great love, the great act of love at Golgotha. And yet that love is only for those who belong to It is not for those who do not want to know Him. It is not for those who refuse to acknowledge His greatness. It is only for those who confess themselves to be puny creatures, totally in the hands of the Father. And so who belong to Him? It is those, as you may remember from Lord's Day 7, question and answer 20, who are grafted into Christ by faith. Only those who believe in Him may call Him their Father, and they may do so for the sake of Christ His Son. And that is why we also end our prayers in the way that we do for Jesus' sake. Amen. Such an end to our prayers has become a habit with us, and therefore we do not always give it much thought. 
But what a wonderful content those words have. Think about it. We may go to the Father because of the Son. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We may do that just like a child may go to its earthly father and ask for food and drink and shelter and protection. As a matter of fact, the child doesn't really have to ask. It's a matter of course. And in this way, we may also approach the Father. We may do so in the name of Christ. God the Son sends us to the Father with the message, Ask in my name, and whatever you ask in faith will be given to you. I said that we must ask in faith. For we must also believe that the Father is willing and able to give us what we need. The fact that the eternal Father of the Lord Jesus Christ is also my Father is almost too great for us to fathom, isn't it? We could hardly imagine it. But then the Catechism also adds that He is at the same time the one who created the heavens and the earth. It is that same great God who created all things out of nothing and to whom this earth is nothing more than a speck of dust who also wants to be intimately involved in my life. That's wonderful news, brothers and sisters. For would he who has done all these things not also be able to listen to all our difficulties and concerns also the many concerns that you have in your own daily lives, whatever they be, of course he can, and he does. Would he who is able to hold the oceans in the palm of his hands be incapable of caring for one drop of water in a bucket? He can, and he does. He cares. And that is why it is also so ridiculous to question the almighty power of God. For there are those who bring into question whether or not God the Father has created all things in six days. Time and again, so-called enlightened scientists and theologians even come along who want to explain a creation in one way or the other to evolution. And in so doing, they attack the almighty power of God. They bring into question His ability to reveal Himself clearly on that point his ability to speak so that it came to be. A tiny speck of dust questions God. How utterly ridiculous, how totally blasphemous. The Lord our God says that we must trust in him. We may not depend on the observation of fallible man as to how the earth was created. No, God tells us. And that same God who is the almighty creator of all things is also a God whom you can trust. Who else could you trust? Come to the second point. Normally speaking, this earth is a comfortable place which we can enjoy. People feel themselves at home. I'm sure you do. There are many things here that we have to enjoy. The Lord God has designed and built for us quite a delightful and wonderful home. He also takes good care of it. He has given the changing clouds and the atmosphere as a roof over our 
protect us from the dangers, radiation, and poison, and extreme heat from outer space. He has given us the sun to both heat our homes and to give light to them. He has given us the mountains and the valleys, the soil and the rocks. He has given us the great oceans and the rivers and the lakes. He has given us all the vegetation and the many animals. And he has given us so many variety of things to enjoy. After he created all things, he saw that it was good. Indeed, and that is why it was not so difficult for Adam and Eve to praise God and to thank him from the bottom of their hearts for all that he has done. The connection between God the Father and creation was at that time clearly discernible. However, since the fall into sin, the connection between God the Father and his creation is no longer as clear to us as was the case in paradise. Sin has blinded our vision and has brought misery into this world. There are still times when we truly are able to give thanks to God, especially when things are going well. But that's not always the way it is, is it? It's hard, for example, to give thanks when we get some bad news from the doctor. It's hard to be thankful in the face of financial difficulties. It's hard to be thankful when it appears to us that the world around us is crumbling. And then we fret and we worry. It's also hard to be thankful and full of praise when we are depressed. Some people are more prone to depression than others. We wonder whether or not the darkness will lift. And when we are sick, whether or not the medicine will do the trick or whether or not our business can be saved or our marriages will improve. We can become angry, angry at God even for allowing bad things to happen. And yet it is our confession in Him I trust so completely as to have no doubt that He will provide me with all things necessary for body and soul. Do you also do that, brothers and sisters? It's human to doubt. Lord God knows that. The Lord Jesus rebuked his disciples time and again for their little faith. He said to Peter after he had sunk below the waves, as he was attempting to walk on the water, O oh, man of little faith. Matthew 14, verse 31. And also he says, You have no faith. Our faith is the faith of the interrupted line. There are gaps. But God wants us to put our trust in him always. That's why you need to be under the preaching time and again to strengthen us in our faith, to increase our faith. Over and over, we must be reminded of how great our God is and how much he has done for us as his children. For Satan always wants to draw you away. He wants you to forget about him. He wants you to look at the chaos around you and to forget about God. But in all this, we have to remember the kind of Father and God that we have. He is our covenant God. And we trust in Him. We also trust in Him when the doctor says to us that there is no longer anything that He could do for us. We trust in Him even when we are about to lose our jobs or our business. 
We trust in him even when a loved one is taken away from us. We trust in him also when we're all hot and bothered inside and see nothing but darkness. For as Christians, we never take our cue from our circumstances, but we take our cue from God himself. We do not look at the things that are happening around us, and from that determine our relationship with our Redeemer. No. That's what the wife of Job did, remember? She looked at her dear husband and the miserable situation he was in, and from that perspective, she looked at God. She could not make a connection between what she saw with her eyes and with her faith in the compassionate God and Father. So what does she say to her husband? Curse God and die. Our Father, however, wants us to look with the eyes of faith. He says, look at my son. And Christ himself said, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. I and the Father are one. For what does the catechism tell us? It tells us that God will turn whatever adversity comes to me to my good. There you see the great love of the Father. For he did not send all this misery misery on earth. No man did so himself. Man willed it. The wonderful thing is God promises that all that evil which comes upon us, he will turn it to our good. He certainly did that to Job, didn't he? He will do the same to you and to me. Perhaps you may not see that in this life. But turn it to your good, he will. That's what he says in Romans 8, verse 28. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. God's purpose, what is it? That's not always clear to us, is it? Our lives are often such a mess and so chaotic. It's just like the world we live in. Where is God in all this? How come there is so much disorder? Last year at this time, there was all kinds of road construction going on in Edmonton. It was a mess, wasn't it? There were all kinds of barricades set up. Roads were being built that appeared to lead to nowhere. And bridges were built in places we didn't expect. Traffic was constantly snarled. What a mess. But then, no time flat or so it seemed. Everything seemed to come together. Just think about the Henley Highway. It's a marvel of engineering. Now the traffic flows like it has never done before. And the roads go to places we didn't expect before. While all that mess was going on, the engineers had all that in mind. People like me were wondering what all these little pieces of road, etc. meant. But we knew that somehow everything would fall into place. And it did. And that's how also God is at work right now. He is at work in your life and in my life, and he is at work in this world. Things may seem like a mess at times, but he is bringing this creation to a glorious end. He is shaping us for future perfection. In the meantime, he is in control of everything. He is the one shaping everything in accordance with his image. But now the question is, do you also allow him to shape your life? Or are you 
resisting him because you are confused and bewildered by what's happening around you. Remember that the almighty creator of heaven and earth is your loving father. He is full of love and compassion. He is a wonderful God. He is a mighty God. He is your creator. But he is also your recreator. Brothers and sisters, trust in him. He knows what he is doing. Amen.